Welcome to Top Advisor Marketing, where you will learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your practice. Brought to you by Top Advisor Podcasting, a done-for-you podcasting solution built just for trusted advisors. And now, your co-hosts of Top Advisor Marketing, Kirk Lowe and Matt Halloran. And welcome to another Top Advisor Marketing Podcast. Today, we have a guest who is a lot like us here at Top Advisor Marketing because they realize the power of their voice. And uh, of course, Malcolm takes us to the next level because not only does he utilize the power of his voice to help him uh, build an amazing online lead generation network that he has, but also he actually has a television show that is called Manage Your Damn Money. This is Malcolm Etheridge. He's a CFP. He's also a vice president uh, at CIC Wealth Management. And uh, he is our guest today. And we're going to pick his brain about how he's built this online presence and how he utilizes audio and video to grow his practice. So Malcolm, Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Happy to be here. So how many episodes in are you again? We are 115, 112, somewhere in that range. Don't hold me to it. And how often do you put podcasts in in the TV show out? We do our best to have a new episode drop every week. So in the land of Corona, we are recording them now through uh, Facebook Live. Okay. And stripping the audio from the Facebook Live feed and throwing it out that way. So it's a lot easier now than it ever has been. So that has sped up the production process a little bit. But before, uh, we were doing our best to have one out every week. And every once in a while, we'd have a break for some kind of family life issue. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, we're consistent. So you don't do seasons? We don't do seasons necessarily, but we do take breaks. Okay. So Thanksgiving to Christmas, for example, is a bit of a blackout for us Mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, or Thanksgiving and New Year's, I should say. So we take that break and then call it a new season when we come back in January sometime. But we don't necessarily have, you know, a scheduled production run. Um, And I know you'll probably ask me the specifics around production at some point, but I'll just kind of jump into it real quick part of the reason we don't necessarily have a cut and dry season is because we actually record the show in a tv studio and so we're a bit at the mercy of their workings with their staffing and the team there and their calendar and that sort of thing do you edit it or does the television station edit everything or do you just do you just go whatever happens happens uh, both. So we have to, to put it in a little bit better perspective. The show itself is a is a podcast that is live recorded with video. So if you think about like Mike and Mike mm-hmm. on ESPN in the good old days or something similar, you've got two guys sitting with microphones talking through a, a, a script and running through, you know, topics of the day, current events pop culture, whatever, and figuring out a way to turn that into something relevant to personal finance, it is a visual of a podcast, if that makes sense. It does. That's the way that it it runs. And so the podcast itself, we have a producer who strips out the audio, like I said, gets it from the Dropbox file, cleans it up and cuts out some of our ums and ahs, like I'm sure you'll do to me on this one, (laughs) and makes it fresh. And then we have the TV studio who also edits, you know, in the commercials and edits out uh, some of the ums and ahs again. 
and packages it and puts it on their YouTube page. And then they also run it on about eight, maybe 10 local access TV channels we're up to at this point as well. So it goes a bunch of different places after we recorded it. Co-host. So you actually have another person on the podcast with you. How did you find this person? And how did you guys, how long did it take you to to kind of get uh, into the groove? Yeah. So the other way around, actually, my co-host found me. He's the creator of the project. So he started out initially as, you know, a guy with a vision. He's, uh, my co-host's name is Ben Carter. So he had the idea of a show of some sort about personal finance that was more interesting than sitting through a Susie Orman infomercial (laughs) and didn't necessarily have a way to, to make it come to fruition other than grab a cell phone, grab a TV camera, um, get on YouTube and throw it out there. So he had been working on this for like two years before he and I ever met. And then he happened to work for a client of mine and I went to an event that the client had. We happened to have a conversation and he handed me a business card that said, manage your damn money. And I was like, well, wait a minute, tell me more about this. And he gave me the idea and that was pretty much it. And I said, well, you know, what are you doing with it? Why haven't you expanded it? And he basically said, every time I have a conversation with someone like you, they always want to come on to pitch something. They always want to come on to have the stage to sell insurance, to sell investments, to sell something. And the conversation I want to have is way more about education than it is about selling something or, you know, investing. And so that's why uh, it hadn't really gone as far as it has now, because my whole focus is really on educating folks and giving them as much information as I possibly can and allowing them to make an informed decision, you know, on their own down the road if the spirit moves them. Right. Okay, Malcolm. And you just touched on something that I think is a magnificent and obvious shift that very few people in our industry truly understand, which is people don't want to be sold to anymore. Why do we need to be sold? Malcolm, I can go online like I did to prepare to, you know, to talk to you today. Dude, I found out all all sorts of stuff about you, right? And so, you know, I found out who you are, what you do, where you went to college, what you like to do in your free time. I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I looked at your last 15 posts, right? People are very, very resourceful. And if you, if you organize your thought leadership, like you guys have using the the TV and the podcasting as a platform, plus we're going to talk about some other stuff too that you do, but it's very easy for people to find in and then they're going to opt in to your Mm -hmm. thought leadership. And then they're going to call you. And and I'm going to just share a quick story, I think, because I think this is funny. One of our new clients, he's been with us for, I don't know, two months. He's released three podcasts and he already landed a client. And he's like, and I'm like, dude, this is not normal. You know? And he's like, no, Matt, it is normal because this is exactly what podcasting is for. I sent this to my existing clients and my existing relationships, you know, people who had been prospects and friends and family, which is what everybody's supposed yep. to do with their media. Right. And, uh, and he's, and he said, the guy called me up and said, you're exactly who I'm looking for. You do exactly what I want. And I'd like to come in and talk to you. That is the epitome of what we want to do nowadays, what you're doing, Malcolm, what we try to do for advisors and what some other people are starting to get keen on is when you put all of this great free information out, they look to you as that resource and they become a raving fan. And you've also proven that with what you do socially. So let's dive into that a little bit more, unless you have any comments that you want to say about that rant that I just went on. Well, I would just add to it the fact that you were you were getting there. You were alluding to the fact that you can't just 
put it out there and expect that speaking into the ether and speaking into a black hole is going to land that client. You've created the content and that's great, but it does nothing if you don't actually promote it. And so unless you're actually sharing that content, once you've created it, it just dies right there. People aren't actively looking through all of the hundreds of thousands of podcasts that exist out there to say, let me listen to all of these to find the right guy or gal to be my financial advisor. You've got to then go through the effort of emailing it to your network and posting it in the places where people look for it um, to make it actually work for you. How do you do that though? Let's, let's talk about how Malcolm does this. How, how do you take your content because you're mm-hmm. creating a lot of content, man. I mean, mm-hmm. a weekly podcast, how long are they again? They're 45 minutes. Wow. Wow. Okay. So you've got a, an, an amazing amount of content. How do you take this, these two mediums, video and audio and turn it into other stuff so that people can consume it in the medium they prefer? Yep. So uh, one good thing that is happening now is I, I have a website that'll be launched by the time this actually airs, MalcolmEthridge.com, where I'm housing everything from blog posts, because I also do blog quite a bit, and podcast episodes and speaking events and everything else that I've done. It centralizes it so that the person who hears me somewhere or catches you know, a stray comment from me on some news program or something and decides to go find me can actually just go to that one place to find all of that information you just asked. So right now, it's a little bit bifurcated in the sense that I, put, I push it out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, everything. And you get some of everything in all of those places. There's not necessarily any clear rhyme or reason to it. But once the site is launched, it'll actually house all of that for me and do a little bit better job of keeping track of everything and allowing you to just one-stop shop, if you will. What's your call to action? So somebody listens to your podcast, they watch your, watch your show, they connect with you on Instagram, They've been following you for a little while. How do you get them to take action? Is it subscribe to the podcast, watch the show, follow me? How do you get them to take that next step? Subscribe to the podcast. Yes, great. Because if and when down the road, we figure out a way to monetize this thing in a meaningful way, then the number of listeners and subscribers you have will will count a heck of a lot more than it does for us right now. But right now, it's just subscribe to the newsletter. So I have a monthly newsletter called Malcolm on Money, where it's some original piece of content that I just wrote for the month. It goes to my blog, and then it'll be the most interesting articles that I shared throughout the month on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and everywhere else that have my two cents on them. So, you know, we have the PPP, for example, that's going to expire in a hot second here. And what that means for business owners who haven't been able to to meet their payroll needs through the coronavirus. And just, you know, my eight sentences of thought on that and what that's going to mean or what it'll mean to buy municipal bonds in, 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 in an age where every state is spending every dollar they have on PPE and just keeping, you know, their, their people alive in their hospitals. So simple things like that I'll throw also in the newsletter. It all looks and, and feels and reads as if, you know, it's all content that I've, I've written myself, but really I'm just the curator beyond the one piece of original content that I wrote. And people get that newsletter, including a link to go listen to the podcast where we may or may not have even had a similar conversation 
on one of the episodes about something that's in the newsletter too. So it brings it full circle. So you're top of the funnel, right? So we talk about top of the funnel, middle of the funnel, bottom of the funnel. Your top of the funnel has got to be it's, it's got to be pretty robust. How are you getting? So after all of that, do you have a tracking of your sales cycle after something like, you know, somebody listens to the podcast or they subscribe to your newsletter? Do you have a, a grasp on how long it takes them to show up in your office or meet with you virtually? Not as much as I admittedly should. To put it in perspective, I just started all of this about eight months ago, okay. I want to say. So I was in a warehouse environment, most of my professional life in this, you know, financial services world, where you're not allowed to have a voice that's different from the firm's voice. And so a lot of this, I've just had to kind of learn on top of each other and iterate, iterate, iterate. So I have a manual process for keeping track of that right now. It's just an Excel spreadsheet, where it says where each person came from, you know, if I have 10 leads, I have a, a, a different name in the source column, whether they came from LinkedIn or referred by a friend or referred by a client, or if they read the newsletter and that's how they initially became aware. But it's a very manual and archaic process for now. Well, you know, you could spend, you know, $50,000 on a CRM system that would help you with that. And, and hopefully uh, pretty soon you'll, you'll be rolling in the dough enough where you can, you know, stroke that check. But to be honest, man, not a lot of us can. And yeah. I, you just said something that I just, man, I, I wrote it down and I had a huge smile on my face, but this is a tough question. Well, at least I think it's a tough question. How long are you willing to spend money doing this before you see a significant ROI like other advisors would consider an ROI? Interesting question. So I think a lot of times we have the wrong, we being advisors have the wrong idea when it comes to marketing spend. A lot of times folks want to keep as much as they can in their pocket so they never actually spend on marketing, which in my opinion is the absolute wrong idea. If you consider the fact that one client with half a million dollars at a 1% annual AUM fee is $5,000, if you spend $5,000 on a campaign that yields you 1.1 client, I know I'm being super wonky here, but 1.1 client means that you've just now increased your return above what you spent. And every single person you bring in from that point on through that one door that you created from your marketing spend is house money, if you will, or it's all a net positive or all operating leverage, however you want to look at it, whatever your uh, MBA course told you to classify it as. To me, that is the attitude that you need to think about it through. So a campaign that I'll do, you know, where I have a conversation with the, the rep who's presenting it to me. For example, my, my web designer who just created the web page that I was telling you about, the page itself cost me $5,000. So my minimum client fee, $500,000, pays for that one person who comes in the door and says, I found you on the website and I want to be a client. So every single person who does that from this point forward is gravy, right? So if you think about it through that lens, it makes it a lot more easy and it becomes a lot more palatable to spend those dollars on these marketing campaigns. Because a lot of times there are upfront costs, but as far as maintenance is concerned, you know, maybe you're talking about a couple hundred dollars a year mm -hmm. or less than a thousand dollars a year. When it comes to your focus, do you also 
look at your marketing spend to retain existing clients? Absolutely. So not only retain existing clients, but in my opinion, the best source of referrals that you're going to get is by prospecting your current clients. And I don't mean in the sense that, you know, in the days of old where you just say the best, the best compliment you can give me is an introduction to your friends and family and people that trust you or something like that, that we're told to say in those stupid sales classes as trainees. To me, it's being in front of your current clients in a way that is palatable for them to be able to turn around and refer you. So what I mean by that is I have the newsletter that I said that that goes out every month. And that has stuff in it that nowhere in there does it say, hey, I want to be your financial advisor. So my clients feel comfortable sharing that newsletter with their friends and colleagues to say, hey, this is my guy that I work with. And the question you are asking me about Social Security, there's something in here about it that he wrote, you should take a look at it. So now that person has has I've made it easy for that person to put me in front of two or three of their friends every single month if they choose to, because I've given them a topic and a launching pad to make that happen. But the people who are sending their clients, you know, market updates every month, or, you know, here's what our take is on municipal bonds or large cap growth or whatever, that's not really something that's shareable. So you're not really prospecting your clients because you're not reminding them what it is that you do for them on a regular basis. You're just reminding them that you're a subject matter expert on municipal bonds or whatever. My favorite thing, Malcolm, is when the clients come in and they say, well, my performance is terrible. And you're like, well, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk about performance. I want to talk about your financial plan. But all of your communication is all about market stuff because it's written by somebody else. It's already pre-approved from compliance. And mm-hmm. it's just easy and you're lazy to send it out. Now, this is going to be a very bold statement. And, a, and I know that we just met, but I just want to tell you that I love you because everything <laughs> that you've said is exactly what we believe marketing in the 21st century looks like. You are way way ahead of the game. There are very few advisors who are taking the long view, right? Who are, uh, who have already put in eight months, mm-hmm. right? You put in eight months of capital, not, I mean, in, and I need to ask you about that in a minute, but this is a lot of time. This is a lot of a Melvin's lot of time. time. And hey, everybody, he just had a baby. This dude's busy as all get out, <laughs> right? And so, and he's still putting in the time to do this right because what you're doing is you're building a solid and strong framework that people are going to be able to resource, use as a resource over time. It, it is a numbers game, and I want to talk about this, and then we're going to talk about your numbers. If I go on iTunes or if I go on Spotify and I'm looking up a financial services professional, which, which Malcolm, you're right, <laughs> that's pretty freaking rare, right? Yeah. But if I do, and I see you've got 120 episodes, and I've got Joe Schmuckatelli who did six episodes and didn't do any more, I'm going to listen to your podcast because you are invested in me. You're showing that commitment into continuous education, and I believe that people who are listeners think that there's a lot of value in that. Do, do you agree with that, or am I off? I do, and what's interesting is we rank number 33 right now for finance and investments. Wow. We don't actually talk markets. We don't talk stocks. We don't talk investments. We don't talk anything specifically related in the way you would think that prospects want to hear. We talk all the way around it and about the things that make it relatable to people's actual lives. So to your point about you know wanting to get away from performance, because that's the report card that, that has all the Ds and Fs on it, if you're not careful, 
Well, if everything about you says, I get the best returns, I get my clients, you know, this with respect to the S&P, well, then you can never run away from that when the coronavirus comes and the market tanks 30%, right? But on the flip side, I actually sell away from performance. So a person who comes to a meeting and asks me, you know, what can you get me as far as return is concerned? Or can I see some of your portfolio's historical uh, returns or, or something to that effect? I'll tell them flat out, if you're looking for an advisor who's going to get you an extra 100 or 200 basis points ahead of whatever the S&P can return, I am 100% the wrong guy for that. If you're looking for somebody who can help you miss a spot that you should have, a box you should have checked on your tax return to save yourself $2,000, I'm the guy. Or if you're looking for somebody who can help you figure out how to complete a backdoor Roth IRA conversion, I'm your guy. But if the thing that tells you that this relationship was beneficial and worth you spending a few thousand dollars every year to retain me is my ability to beat the market, you can go find literally any other advisor out there who would be more than happy to have that conversation with you. But that's not the thing I'm here to focus on. And if they bring it up more than one more time after that, I just let them know they're not the right fit for me and I'm not the right fit for them. Well, let's talk about cost. And then I want to talk about your business yep. model as we wrap up, because you're doing some things differently there too. But how much are you dropping per month on all of this radio blogging? I, I mean, I'm really putting you on the spot here, Malcolm, and I didn't warn you about this before, but I'm just wondering, you know, what is your, what is your marketing spend? Do you have a percentage of your overall gross, not net that you put into marketing? Or do you say, Hey, I'm going to budget X amount per month and I'm going to stick to it. I don't have a specific dollar amount just yet that I'm worried about meeting or making sure I don't exceed. What I can tell you is that coronavirus created a great opportunity for me to spend additional money on marketing. So I looked at what I would have spent traveling around the country to get in front of people, shake hands and, and uh, kiss babies all year, you know, from call it April through December. And I said, I would have gone to this conference, this conference, and this conference, overnight stay, plane tickets, all that kind of stuff. It would have cost me roughly eight to $10,000 between April and December. And so I said, I will allot myself eight to $10,000 for the rest of the year to spend on building out my marketing infrastructure. So as I mentioned, a lot of these things that I'm spending money and time on right now are things I'll have to do one time and never again. So it's an upfront cost, but I can't really tell you what it would look like as far as a percentage of annual revenue or anything like that, because it's things I don't anticipate having to spend the money on a second time. Now, how do you work with Generation X, millennials, younger successful people and still maintain a level of profitability? Yep. So I work with uh, what we all affectionately refer to as Henry's when you say millennials and Gen Xers. And so that's for anybody who's not in our industry, it's high earners who are not rich yet. So we're talking about accredited investors a lot of times, folks who make 200 or $300,000 for individuals or couples respectively, but don't have a million dollars in investable assets yet, right? That's the back half of that accredited investor requirement. Um, a lot of those folks tend to work in tech. And so that's really the space that I've kind of carved out a niche. So for a husband and wife where one or two of them work in 
some tech related field, they could make, you know, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year and they're in their late thirties. And so a lot of the questions that they have are around like, we ourselves had to spend a heck of a lot of money to pay for school. And we want to make sure that we're paying off our student loans, but also that we're saving enough that our kids don't have to have that same burden. Or, you know, I know that I, I need to save for retirement, but I don't really know how much I can save without it cramping my lifestyle too much, those kind of things. Those are not market-related questions or anything you can bill mm -hmm. AUM for. And so what I did was just designed a annual fee. So minimum planning fee is $5,000 because as I mentioned, minimum client size, if we're billing on AUM is $500,000. And so if they decide they want to just pay on a monthly basis, charge an up upfront planning fee, and then on a monthly basis, charge the balance against a checking account or, or credit card or however they, they decide to set it up. So it allows them to grow their portfolio over time, but also be able to work with somebody along the way so that they have a much better shot at getting there than if we were to say, go get rich first and then come talk to us, like the, mark, the model currently says, right? Because yeah. you didn't ask me this, but my whole goal in doing this is really just to get to 50 clients with a million or more and I'm done. I can close the door. I don't need to prospect anymore. And I don't have to, to, to talk to anyone else until somebody disappears. And the way I explain that to prospects in a discovery meeting is I have 50 seats on my bus. Right now, 34 of those seats are taken. And the moment that that last seat gets filled, I'm closing the door and I'm driving off. And so you just need to be aware that that is what's happening. I'm not saying that to put pressure on you or make you do anything any quicker than you would have wanted to. I just want you to be aware of how many spaces there still are and how many spaces are, are, are currently taken. And that's really all I'm, I'm driving at. So it doesn't have to be uh, rocket science to figure out a way to serve mm -hmm. younger, high earning people who don't quite have the assets that we all covet as your perfect prospect just yet. You just have to create a, a model that still serves them and then a model that allows you to be able to build them for your time to make it worthwhile to you, but also uh, make it so it's not cost prohibitive to them. Mm -hmm. Wow. Uh, that, I think that's wonderfully insightful. And in going to uh, one of my favorite philosophers of our time, his name is Dr. Robert Cialdini, one of the things that he talks a lot about is the principle of exclusivity, right? Now, mm -hmm. this is a hard number for you, which is wonderful, but it also shows that, one, you don't work with everybody, two, you have a niche or a niche, right? You, uh, you have a limited number of seats available, which we know is a very, very powerful tool of influence, not sales, but influence, right? Mm -hmm. It's a great opportunity for you to say, I would love for you to be on my bus, but, you know, I, I, you're going to need to make this decision because you know, I've got 16 seats left on the bus. The other thing, Malcolm, that's wonderfully refreshing is I think the newer generation of advisors, which you're squarely in, right, are not as greedy as a lot of the older advisors who if I'm not growing, I'm dying. If, you know, I need to bring on 14, $15 million in new assets this year because, well, I've actually already spent it. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, they're not wise stewards of their own money and therefore they don't really practice what they preach. But the other thing too is financial services is fundamentally changing and you're, you're not even competing in the robo world 
because right. you've created your own niche that truly gives your ideal client exactly what they're looking for. And Malcolm, you're speaking to them in the medium they prefer while they're there with your original content. All right. Closing thoughts, sir. What should I have asked you that I didn't? Or uh, is there any piece of advice or any direction you want to send our listeners to find out more about you or what you do? Yeah. So I'll, I'll throw a quick plug in there just for any advisors who are currently in, you know, an independent broker dealer situation, maybe at a RIA that, that they don't necessarily fit into, or even in the wire world where I initially came from, that's interested in any of this kind of stuff and figuring out how to get there to do it themselves. I am certainly interested in having that conversation with them to see if it's a good fit for them to come and join our team. Um, because we are definitely looking to grow the team. As I mentioned, I'm closing the door at some point next year, not taking another person in. So it would also be helpful to have, you know, a few people on the team that could then step in and kind of take up some of that, that demand as it continues to come in. Malcolm, this was magnificent. Thank you very much for how you think, where you think, why you think the way that you do, how you market the way that you do, the commitment that you've made to the long marketing game, the commitment that you've made to your clients, and and even better, all of the great information that you're sharing to help people make wise financial decisions. Well, I certainly appreciate you guys for having me. If you have not subscribed to the podcast, make sure you do by clicking that subscribe now button below. If you have a podcast topic or guest that you think would be magnificent on the show, please email me their contact information, potentially your contact information, at matt at topadvisorm, that M is for marketing.com. That way I can reach out to them and vet them, just like we did for Malcolm. And uh, look at this. I mean, you know, we get guests like Malcolm on, and you all have the opportunity to learn so much, uh, have some doors open to you that might not be open to you already because of the fact that you're confined by compliance. I should say over compliance because Malcolm still has to deal with compliance. But the idea here that if you truly want to start marketing this way, it is very difficult to do it within an existing broker dealer or wirehouse structure, right? You can't truly be your own person in those two things. No, that's not true. There are some BDs that are pretty freaking good at that. I should say that. But there are some great opportunities if you want to go RIA, which wanted to reach out to Malcolm. So Malcolm Etheridge, you can find him on LinkedIn. He's there, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, all you have to do is type in his name. He's in the DC area. CIC Wealth Management is the name of the company. And uh, for Malcolm and for everybody here at Top Advisor Marketing, we'll see you on the other side of the mic very soon. Are you ready to change the way you communicate with your clients? Are you tired of being the best kept secret in your area? Learn how to become a prolific online influencer, attract more ideal clients, and grow your business. Contact us today and see what the power of podcasting can do for your business. Click on the Contact Us link on our website at topadvisormarketing.com and set up a call to learn more. Follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more updates and information. This was brought to you by iris.xyz, a platform helping financial professionals become better in business and life through new media and new voices. Visit them and learn more at iris.xyz.